In the book of Matthew, chapter 9, that's not on your outline. I have the prerogative as a preacher is to be inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, I believe. Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is there. He's right in the full-blown uh, part of his ministry. He has pulled away with his disciples. And Jesus looks and he sees a multitude of people coming to him. And this is what the scripture says. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and they were scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There, Jesus gives us the perfect example of being on mission. Matthew last week shared with us about this whole idea of what it means to be on mission. Today, I want to finish that pillar. And I want to talk about not only a personal mission that we have, but the idea that God has called us to missions with an S. That he's called us to take the gospel everywhere that we go. We're to take it to the farthest, farthest part of the earth, overseas, internationally, everywhere that we go. But we're also to take it next door. We're also to take it to school. We're also to take it to work. We're also to take it everywhere that we go. And I want you to turn with me this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 3. And I want to look at another very familiar passage of Scripture. But in this passage, we see two guys, two Baptist preachers going to worship. They were just going about their everyday lives. Just like this morning, you got up and said, well, I'm going to church today. I'm glad you did. We're glad to have you. But they were just going about their normal responses. As Jews, they were going to the temple. They were going for the hour of prayer. And they were going to... It was just a normal part of their day, but God had a mission for them. Everywhere that we go, whether it's coming to a worship service or whether it's going to work or whether it's going to school or whether it's playing a sport or whatever it may be, God has a mission for you and for me if we're his children. And that mission is to always carry and be ready 
for the gospel to be proclaimed. First Peter chapter 3 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It's the word apologia. We get our word apologetics from it. Our English word, we use apology. Now, it doesn't mean that, that we're sorry for the gospel and that we're apologizing for it. That's not the idea here. The idea here is to give a defense for the gospel, to stand and proclaim the news of the gospel and the truth of the gospel and do it in such a way in which it proclaims the truth and then the Spirit of God takes the truth and applies that truth to a sinner's heart and then that sinner responds in faith and their lives are changed. Here we see these two Baptist preachers on their way to worship. When they get to the house of worship, there's some things that happen. They come to the place called the beautiful gate. Notice in Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. He was begging. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement. How many of you or us here today would go out into a crowd and say, look at us, not in a prideful way, but in a way that is saying, I have a message for you, and I have something for you that will be better than anything you've ever asked for because you're asking for money. I want to give you salvation. I want to present to you the Jesus who loves you and has a plan and purpose for your life. So, he says, in other words, Paul must have been pretty convincing here. I mean, Peter must have been pretty convincing here because in verse 5 he says, So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have. See, I knew they were Baptist preachers. <laughs> but, but what I do have, I give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. You see, he thought he needed money because his whole 
life had been focused on because the Bible tells us if you go on down and read about him, he had been this way since birth for over 40 years. He had been crippled. And the only way that he could get any help and sustenance for his life was to beg. I want to call your attention to this cripple at the gate. Beautiful. First of all, he had a serious defect. Verse 2 tells us that he was a man that was lame from his mother's womb. He had a dislocated foot. In other words, his foot was not connected to his ankle. Forty years old, his parents had never seen him take his first steps. As a boy, he had not been able to run and play ball and run around and play tag and all the things that children do. He was a serious, defective young man who was always in need. But not only did he have a serious defect, but he had a sad dependence. Look in verse 2 as well. It says that he had to be carried and had to be laid daily at the gate of the temple. You see, there was no crippled children's home. There was no vocational schools for special needs. There were no handicapped or disabled rights. He depended all of his life for 40 years on the goodwill of others to carry him. This man had no help, he had no, no help, and he had no hope. But he had a serious defect, he had a sad dependence, and third, he had a soul desire. Look there in verse 2 as well. What was his desire? To ask alms. That's all that he knew. He knew that he had to have sustenance for life, and the only way that he could get it was by the, the good hearts of people coming to the church, coming to worship, that he would then beg for alms. I picture this in my mind as this young man is there, and he's been doing it now for ever so long as, as, as he's probably 20, 30 years. Remember, he's been crippled all of his life. And probably from the time he was a very young child, old enough to be able to do it, he would sit there at the gate beautiful. And there at this gate, 75 feet tall, 50 feet wide, with all the beautiful Corinthian brass upon it, and the beautiful vine of pomegranates representing the nation of Israel as the vine of God. There at this beautiful gate lay a cripple begging for alms. He had a soul's desire. He could make, you know, he was very good at what he did. I can hear him right now. Can you? Oh! Because he knew that his life depended upon his beggary. 
had no other hope. And his humiliating situation had caused him to be reduced to begging for the very simple things of life that he needed to be able to live. And the most important thing about this lame man is that I believe that he is representative of and he illustrates for us our human predicament. He is a microcosm. He is a cameo of humanity. He demonstrates for us what every man and woman that's been born into this world has. We are cripples. We are in our sin. And all that we know to do is to beg for sustenance. He represents every one of us. He represents the people that you see every day. He represents those that we look at and we hear about on the TV and on the news. And we see all of these people out there, they're crippled. They're crippled. They're crippled. And they're dying. They're so confused that they don't even know who they are. They have rejected God. They have rejected the truth of God. They have rejected the word of God. They have fallen to beggary. I see it every time I see, watch, watch the news. I see these folks on there. And they're crying out. They don't realize what they're crying out for. But they're out there protesting. Or they're out there talking about how that they want to, they're a woman, but they want to be a man. They're begging. They're asking for significance in life. And you and I have the gospel that can give them what they need. But they don't even know what they need. They're begging. This man did not know what he needed. All he knew was that he could beg and people would give him money. And these folks that are out there today running around crazy as a loon, in our perspective, we need to look at it differently. They're crippled. They're crippled in spirit. And the only thing that they know is that deep inside there is something missing inside of them. And it's missing so much that it's causing them to make horrible decisions about life. It's causing them to doubt the very existence of God. It's causing them to even hate anyone who represents God. They're crippled. Sin cripples us. We're born into this world as cripples. Sin disfigures us, sin distorts us, and sin will ultimately destroy us unless we hear the good news of the gospel and are saved. Sin will leave you crippled for all of your life. It has nothing to offer you. This man is a symbol of all of humanity. 
Now, there's a perfect example in Scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 4. You remember Jonathan, David and Jonathan? Jonathan was Saul's son, and David and Jonathan grew up together, and they were best buds. They were BFFs, I guess is what they say today. They had made a vow to each other to be friends forever no matter what. And Jonathan had a son whose name was Mephibosheth. And it was tradition in those days and things that happened that when, when the kingdom would change over from one king to another, if, another uh, if there was a coup that took place and another king defeated a king, and then what he would do is the new king would kill all of the relatives of the old king. And so when they heard that David was going to be now the new king, the nurse that was keeping Jonathan's son because Jonathan had died, the nurse that was keeping Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, in haste and afraid for her life and for this baby's life, picked the baby up and began to run and to hide and when she did, she dropped the baby, and Mephibosheth became a cripple. But in the beauty of that story later on, David says, I know that Jonathan had a son. Where is he? And many people thought that he was probably going to destroy him because really he should have been the rightful heir, being Saul's grandson. And many, I would have assumed, probably thought that David was trying to hunt him down to be able to, to, to kill him, to keep him from being a rival. But that was not in David's heart. David found Mephibosheth, brought him into his home, and basically adopted him as a son. And made sure that he was fed and taken care of and that every need that he had was there. Why? Not just because he had made a promise to Mephibosheth's dad, Jonathan, but because David, in that wonderful story, depicts for us that you and I are like Mephibosheth. We were cripples. We deserved death. But the king <laughs> has welcomed us into his home. And he's given us everything that we need. We've been crippled from a fall. Just like Mephibosheth was crippled from a fall. That's a beautiful example. We were born into this world. The scripture says in Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Romans 3, 23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are left crippled as a result of a fall. But I've, listen, I've got some good news for you today. And that good news is, Proverbs 25, 25 says, As cold waters are to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Now, I didn't come from far. I just came from Warren Road this morning. But I've got some good news for you. 
Even though you're crippled and even though you deserve death and even though that without Christ you will go to an everlasting hell in punishment for all the rest of eternity, Jesus came to set you free and to heal you from being crippled. God is still, and I, I look at salvation. Now, you theologues out there, don't split nine hairs here with what I'm about to say. I see salvation as a healing, not a physical healing, but a spiritual healing. Every one of us have been crippled by the fall. We were born as sinners. And the only way that we can ever, ever get out of our crippledness is to be healed and whole in salvation and the gift of eternal life that Jesus came and paid the price so that you and I could come to him. And he says, and anyone who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. We're all sinners crippled by the fall. But that was there at the gate. Notice the challenge in the text. We've seen the cripple in the text. But look now at the challenge of the text. Notice in verse 2 it says, Whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. Now, there's a tragic contrast here. What is this contrast? What you see on the gate and what you see on the ground. Think about this for a minute. Sitting at this beautiful gate, Josephus, the great Jewish historian, I have his writings in my library that a precious lady gave to me many years ago. Josephus says about this gate called Beautiful that it was given by wealthy Alexandrian. That it was shaped like a vine symbolizing Israel as the vine of God in the world's vineyard. It was covered in Corinthian brass. It was 75 feet high, 65 feet wide. And when the sun hit it, it was dazzling in its beauty. It was a marvelous piece of ancient architecture, but that was on the gate. Look at the ground below the gate, and what do you see? A cripple. What we have in, in, in this is a contrast. We have worship and woe. We have loveliness and lameness. We have dignity and destitution. We have splendor and we have sickness. And we have pomp and circumstance and we have poverty. All of these are diametrically opposed. Here is this cripple lying at this beautiful gate. And those two things are diametrically opposed to each other. And herein lies the great and I think the great magnificent challenge to you and me today of the modern church. How will you and I, and here's the question, if you don't hear anything else I say today, 
Listen to this. Here's the question. How will you and I deal with the cripples at our gates? Will we just walk by them and see the beauty of the temple? Will we go on about and, and go inside and worship and walk right by and, and not have anything to offer? The real tragedy is not that most of us want to deal with human problems, but we want to deal with those human problems long distance. There's hunger and war in Ukraine. Well, that's in Ukraine. There's AIDS in Ethiopia, but that's Ethiopia. There's calamity in our sister state, Kentucky, with all the floods, but that's in Kentucky. There's racism everywhere that we go that we have to deal with continually over and over and over again. I want to tell you something. If people would just come to Jesus Christ, they would realize that there is only one race, and it's called the human race, and it's got nothing to do with the color of our skin. It's got to do with the intent of our hearts. And if you are a human being, you are a hu of the human race, and you need the gospel. And we as a church need to get the gospel to every human being. The litmus test, I believe, of every believer in church is not what we do long distance. You do not have to get on an airplane to do missions. Even though we have great opportunities to go into other places, and we will continue to do that because we have been commanded and commissioned by the Lord to do it. But you do not have to go overseas on a boat, on an airplane to do missions. You and I should be on mission every day of our lives. God has not called us necessarily to heal all the hurts from the Arctic to the Antarctica, but the ones that cross our paths. See, there was a theological custom there, too. Verse 2 says, they entered into the temple. This was where you went into worship, but this man was not allowed to go in to worship because of his condition. You know, there are a lot of folks out there today who don't think that they would be welcome to come to church because they think the church would judge them and the church would turn their nose up at them or the church would shun them or the church wouldn't accept them. I want you to know something as long as there's breath in my body that the doors of this church will be open to anyone of any race, of any nation, of any ethnos, any ethnicity, anywhere, anytime, these doors are open for anyone to come to worship God and to hear the good news of the gospel. That's the mission of this church. And you and I need to be on mission every day. The theological custom of that day was if you were infirmed in any way, you were not allowed to go into the temple. Now, what if that were today? 
I'd be preaching to an empty room. In fact, I wouldn't be here. Where, is this, where does this come from that people think that the church is a bunch of judgmental hypocrites? Well, it's probably true. Many of the times. But I want you to know something. We have been given the opportunity to present to a crippled world a healing that will change their lives. And it's the healing of the soul. The soul that sinneth that shall surely die. But the soul that trusts in Jesus Christ shall live. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall surely, what, not die. He was cut off, this cripple, at the gate called Beautiful of the Temple. He was cut off from God by bad theology. I want to tell you something, folks. We ought to be the most studious people in the world. We ought to know. We ought to know God's word. We ought to have it memorized. We ought to have it hidden in our heart. We ought to know all the issues that there are. We ought to know every, every view of eschatology. We ought to be able to be able uh, to be able to explain those views. We ought to be able to explain every view of salvation, soteriology, and everything that goes with that. We ought to be able to to explain every view of pneumatology, and that's the work and and person of the Holy Spirit. We ought to be able to do everything that all of that stuff. We ought to be able to do all of that. But if that's all that we do, we are dead orthodox. If we do all of that without reaching out to a crippled world and preaching the gospel and proclaiming it everywhere that we go because we're on mission every day, then we're nothing more than a bunch of Pharisees. The Bible commands us to take care of the widows and the orphans. The Bible commands us to feed the hungry. And we've got a ministry coming up. In fact, we had a group going today to do that. And in and, and August the 23rd, we've got another. We believe to, that we need to do that. We're commanded to help clothe those who are naked. Thank goodness we don't want them running around naked. We are told in Scripture to take care of those. But I want to tell you something. If all we do is feed people and dress them up, then all we are doing is dressing up people with a full belly and watching them die and go to hell with a full belly and a nice set of clothes. Everything that we do, every mission opportunity we do, every mission project that we do, the number one goal is to share the gospel. It was a theatrical church. You know what you find in a theater? Actors and actresses. You know what it's for? It's all for show. 
They wear a mask to cover what they feel and who they are. I know it was all for show because Judaism was and still is a dead religion. That's right. That's what I said. Judaism was and is a dead religion. I know it was dead because it left the lame man, it had the lame man there at the gate and it left him lame. It left the cripple at the gate there and he was still crippled. He was a beggar there at Judaism and he was he, he's still a beggar. It did not change him. It had no power for his paralysis. This was an inept church, and today the church many times is playing games, and they're being all these things they call today woke. Now that's the difference between these two broke. When I said two broke Baptist preachers, I didn't say two woke Baptist preachers. There's a big difference. Many today are like this man. They dare bring their problems to us, their pain and their persecutions. And we leave them with them. Because we have forgotten we're on mission. Then look at the Christians in the text. We have Peter in verse 3, Peter in verse 4, Peter in verse 6, Peter and John in verse 11. To, who, to, to, to whom was this man, this cripple, to whom was he a concern? Was it Judaism? No, it left him crippled. It left him lame. It left him begging. Was it to the crowd that was coming in? No, they just throw a little money at him to appease their soul. And that's the way a lot of folks are today. They throw a little money at something and think that's, you know. And listen, we have to have finances to function, but that's not all. What, what did Peter and John say to this man? Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You see, their confidence was this. Look on us. We've got something to tell you, my friend. Look on us. That takes a lot of confidence for us to do that. But it also, notice their confession. Silver and gold. They were not intimidated by what they did not have. But the emphasis was on what they do have. Such as I have, he says, what I have I'll give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. Thomas Aquinas said to Pope Innocent II, the Pope said this to Thomas Aquinas, Thomas, the church in reference to this passage, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. Look at our beautiful edifices. 
Look at all of our wealth and our pomp and our circumstances. Look at our beautiful gates. Look at all the wonderful things that we have. And Thomas Aquinas answered the Pope, Innocent II, and this is what he said. He said, Sir, you are right, Your Holiness, but neither can the church say today, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Where have we lost it? Then we see their compassion in verse 7. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. You see, compassion means that he feels with. Sympathy means you feel for. You can stand away off and have sympathy. I'm sure a lot of people who walked by the cripple that day had sympathy on him. But Peter and John had empathy. They stood there. And they reached down and they said, look at us. I don't have any alms to give you, but I'm here to give you life. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. I remember that day in 1976 on the Easter Sunday morning, April the 18th, at approximately 11.55 a.m., singing just as I am, the 39th verse. <laughs> if the building had not burned down, I believe you could probably still go on the back row of the last pew there, right under the air condition, by the way, is where I was standing. And I believe you could probably still see my fingerprints as I clenched onto that pew as the Spirit of God was tearing my heart out and saying, come to Jesus. He loves you. You're crippled. You need Christ. And I'll never forget the day, that joy that passes all understanding that has kept my heart and mind in Christ Jesus, now for over 40-something years. Because the final thing we see here is the Christ in the text. And it was Christ who changed my life, who's changed your life, and we need to continually understand what Christ has done for us. You see, when this man realized what his need was and when Peter and John reached down and said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, they didn't say, here's you some money, son. Get somebody to go buy you some nice clothes. Get somebody to go fill up your, fill up your pantry at home with food. Those would have been wonderful things to do, and we should do them. We're called to do that. But you see, Peter and John saw that this man's need was not food. This man's need was not clothes. This man's need was not of this world's goods. This man's need was salvation. 
And every one of us in this place today, our greatest need is salvation. And if you have never trusted Christ, I say to you today, silver and gold have I none. Just as Peter said, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Walk in a new life. And you know what it said about this guy? He didn't start walking. The Bible says that he leaped and began running. Can you imagine for over 40 years this man had never known what it meant to walk? He'd never known. And he didn't just start walking. When he got up, he got up and he realized he was standing up. And the next thing I know, I believe, he started shouting for the glory of God and praising the name of Jesus. And he took off running. You know what I think he went to do? I think he went to tell another beggar somewhere, hey, Jesus just healed me, and he can do the same for you. You see, because the best definition of evangelism I've ever heard is simply this, one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And you and I are all beggars, and we know where to find bread. It is the bread of life, and his name is Jesus, and we need to give that bread of life to the whole world. There was praise. There was power in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up. There was praise in the name of Jesus. The Bible said that he went about praising and leaping and rejoicing. My question today to you as a close is simply this. Thank you for being patient this morning. Simply this. Do you realize you're a cripple? Do you realize that you are a beggar? You have nothing, you know, a beggar has nothing to offer to God. Has absolutely nothing. In my hand, no price I bring, but only to the cross I cling. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite will I withhold. And then we hold on with all of our might. Do these words mean anything? Is Jesus still in the healing business? He's still in the saving business? You better believe he is. And he will save you today. Your greatest need is salvation. And for those of us who are Christians in here today, our greatest need is to be on mission because there are crippled people everywhere that we go. You don't even have to look for them. They'll just be in your path. Just as Peter and John going to the temple, boom, there he was. What if they hadn't, what if they didn't know how to present the gospel? Wouldn't that have been a shame? <coughs> if you don't know how, we'll teach you. But the greatest testimony you have is what Jesus has done for you. And I want to say today as we close, I want you to, the invitation is a little different today. I want you to just sit right where you are as this last song is sung. And as Christians here today,
I want to just challenge you today to be on mission. To look at the world around you with new eyes as Peter and John did. And realize that you're on mission everywhere that you go. And be ready, as 1 Peter 3 says, be ready always to give an answer for the hope that is within you for everyone who should ask. <coughs> they may ask you for alms, but what they're really needing and what they're really asking for is salvation. This man didn't know what he needed. He only knew what he, had, what he, what he wanted to ask for. And when he did, God brought to him what he needed. <coughs> and there are people out there today, they don't know what they need. But you and I have the message. Let's take it to them. Be on mission everywhere that we go. Each one reach one. All things shall come and shall pass, but only what's done for Christ will last. I don't want to waste my life. You know, I'm, I'm at that point. Many of my friends that I graduated from high school with, over 21 of them, I believe the last count I had, I'd have to double check that number to be sure because I got a 71-year-old brain. Sometimes it doesn't function well. But over 20, 21 of those who graduated from high school with are gone. My daddy died at age 62. Bless God, I hope I got my mama's genes. She lived till 93 and a half. But we're not guaranteed the next breath. I don't want to waste whatever little bit of time I have left, whatever it may be. I don't want to waste it. I want to see people come to Christ. You know what? When people get focused on the mission, all the other, and listen to this great profound <coughs> word and pastoral word, all the other crap goes away. <laughs> if you are a dissatisfied person, get on mission, and you won't be dissatisfied anymore. If you'll get focused on Jesus, it won't matter what songs we sing. If you get focused on the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it won't matter if the preacher didn't speak to you today. If you get focused on the mission that God has called you to do, all this other stuff will mean nothing. We'll see the greatest revival. I don't know about you, but I pray every day for God to send a hell-shaking, devil-busting, Christ-honoring revival. I want to see God's people changed and this world changed, and we're the only ones who can do it. Get off of our high horses and get on our faces before God. Repent of our sin and our selfishness and our, and our short-sightedness and ask God to give us the grace that we need every day to be on mission everywhere that we go and to stand, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm and dare to make it known. Regardless of the consequences. So today as we...
have this last song. You sit there. I want you to pray as a Christian. God, I have a, if, if, if this is true for you, I have been out of focus. I have not been on mission. I want to be on mission, and I want to be ready for those cripples that you put in my path. And then if you're not here to saved here today, you're one of the cripples, let me tell you something today. Jesus loves you. This I know, for the Bible tells us so. The greatest theological truth ever written in a song. He has a plan for you, a purpose for you. And he will meet you just where you are. And he will heal your soul. He will quicken you from death to life and bring you into his marvelous kingdom. Lord, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the, the truth that we see from this story, Peter and John. Thank you for Peter and John who realized they were on mission. They were just ordinary people like every one of us in here today. They were following you. And as they followed you, Lord, uh, you put into their path an individual that only you could meet their need. And Lord, because they were focused on you, on the mission you'd given them, that cripple was changed to a running, shouting, hallelujah believer. So, Lord, thank you that you're still, you're still in the cripple-changing business. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.